You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace Campus. I'd like to welcome you all today, all of you that are watching online, all of you at our seven campuses, and of course, you in the room here at Lutz. I just want to welcome you as we, we do. We conclude our series, Truth Over Trend. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So I want you to be ready for it. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm not just going to be spouting evidence. What we're going to be doing instead is we're going to be talking a little bit of philosophy in this. A lot of the, a lot of the arguments about God are philosophical nowadays. It's a lot of what is being brought up. It's like, hey, if you believe this, then why do you believe this? And so if this is something you really do enjoy, I do recommend a book uh, by Frank Turk called Stealing from God. Stealing from God. It's by a guy named Frank Turk, T-U-R-E-K. He is great on this philosophy side. He's actually teamed up with Andy Stanley, who's another pastor, and they have come together to really tackle some of these toughest topics. And the topic that we're talking about today, I believe is the one is the one that causes more people to step back from their faith, more people to leave their faith, more people to walk away from Christianity than any other. And here's what it is. If there's a good God, if God is good, then how is there pain? How is there suffering? How is there injustice in the world? If you claim that your God is good, is what the atheist will say. If you claim that your God is good, how come there's so much pain in the world? How can God look at the pain, look at the suffering, and be okay with it if he is Good. Now, just an aside, just an aside, this, uh, this topic, this argument is an argument that you hear from first world countries mainly. You hear it from the United States, you hear it from Canada, you hear it from Europe. You really don't hear it much from third world countries. You don't hear it from places like Haiti and Africa and other places like that. Because when you go there, if you've ever gone on a mission trip, you go there and in the midst of pain and suffering, they see pain as a suffering as a reason, as a reason to follow God. But in first world countries, We ask the question, we go, if a God is good, then why does he allow these things to happen? And here's the argument that we're going to be talking about today. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. And this is what you'll hear many times. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. If he's good, he would means what? It means, hey, if God is good, how can he look at the pain and suffering in the world and allow it to happen? If God is good, how come he allowed that person to die in my life? If God is good, how could cancer be around? And then if he could, he would. If God is all-powerful, why wouldn't he stop this? Maybe God's not all-powerful. Maybe he's good, but he's not all-powerful. And really what you get at the end of the argument is this. Well, if he's good, he's not doing what he should, and he's not all-powerful. So maybe the answer is this, is that there isn't a good God, or there isn't a God. And what you'll see many atheists doing is something I want to... I really, I want to make sure you don't do. I want to caution you in this. Is this what atheists tend to do? They tend to go, look at all the pain and all the suffering in the world, and they leverage it against God. All the pain, all the suffering, look at all the pain and suffering in the world, and they leverage it against God. Now, let me just say, I want to caution you not to do that, and here's why. Because many people's pain and suffering, like I said before, actually brought them closer to God actually led them into a better relationship with God. So when you leverage all the pain and the suffering in the world against God, you're actually calling them dumb. You're calling them idiotic. You're saying what you think you believe you are wrong about because it brought you closer to God. Let me say it this way. If you have not walked in their shoes, don't assume your destination. If you have not walked in their shoes, don't assume your destination. Meaning this, you can use your pain and suffering 
in an argument against God, but don't cast a wide net of everybody else's pain and suffering because many people, and what we'll see in so many Christian testimonies would say this, extraordinary suffering often leads to an extraordinary confidence in God. Extraordinary suffering often leads to an extraordinary confidence in God. In fact, there would be many Christians who would stand up to the atheists and say, do not use my pain. Do not use my suffering against God because it's led into a greater relationship with him. It's led into a greater confidence in him. But we hear this. We hear if pain and suffering happens. Well, here's what I want, want us to understand. I want you to get this from the beginning. There is no rational argument against the existence or involvement of the God of Jesus, now maybe other gods, but the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. There's no rational argument. There's emotional ones. Absolutely, there's emotional ones. We've all heard the emotional ones and they're very powerful and they're very moving. And if you had a story like that and you sat down across from me and you told me your story and you said, this is what happened to me and this is why I left the church, I would say, I understand you. But when you take the emotion and you put it aside, we realize very quickly that there's not a rational argument against the existence of God based on injustice in the world. And here's one of the biggest reasons why. Christians have never made an argument for God's existence based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. You've never heard anyone say this. Never, and no one has ever said, you know what I've noticed today in the world? Bad things never happen to good people. And since bad things never happen to good people, we must serve a good God. Nobody's ever said, you know what? I've noticed that when somebody becomes a crush, Christian, unjust things never happen to them. And since unjust things never happen to Christians, there must be a good God. You've never heard anyone say that. Why? Because that's not what we see in the world around us. That's not what we've ever claimed. In fact, I would say it this way. Injustice... Injustice calls into question the justice of God, not his existence. Like I said, just walk with me. Just walk with me. It calls in the justice of God, but not his existence, which means, which means it makes more sense to be angry at God than atheist. It makes more sense to be disappointed in God than to walk away from him and stop believing. It's kind of like this. If my, my, my kids came up to you and they started to talk to you and they started to talk about me and say how bad of a father I was and how mean I was and how I would just allow people to come in and beat them up and hurt them and all of these things, you would not doubt my existence, right? You would doubt my goodness and then you would make a call. <laughs> because you are talking to my kids, that shows you that I exist, See, we got to understand that there's a difference between arguing my experience and the existence of God. Because when you argue the existence of God, Christians don't argue the existence of God from everything being good and just. What do they argue it from? The fact that, hey, we're here. There is something here. Something can't come from nothing. So there has to be something above nature. There has to be something that is supernatural that had to have made us. And we call that being God. And we believe God made us. We believe when you look in the Bible, you see the creation story and you see what happened. You see how God guided his people through the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, God sends us Jesus and Jesus comes down to this world and he does miracles and then he predicts his death and his resurrection, which anybody that can do both of those, I'm going to listen to death and resurrection. And then he tells us this is what God's plan is for your life. 
That's the reason we believe in God. That has nothing to do with his goodness or his justice. So here's my question for you. Why do we assume if there is God, that God must be good and God must be just? It's, it's an important thing to think about, especially in our first world environment. Why do we automatically assume that if there is a God, God must be good and God must be just? Because the, the early, early people did not believe that. In fact, when you look at the pharaohs, the pharaohs did not believe the Egyptian gods were good or just. The Romans and the Greeks did not believe that their gods were good and just. So how, how, did, how do we find that out? And if we're honest, we would go, well, you know what? Someday somebody told me that God is good and God is just. But where did they get that from? They didn't get it from looking at nature because nature is not good. Nature is not just. They didn't get it from the ancient gods. Here's what's interesting about the ancient gods. The reason ancient people believed in gods was not because the gods were good and just, but because there were so many bad things happened. They assumed there were gods that were messing with them. They assumed the only way that this was possible was gods were playing them and that what they were, so they would make sacrifices to the gods, not because they loved them, because they wanted their protection. So we don't see that at all. So why? Why do we believe that? Where do we get this idea from? And here's why this is so important. In a, in a first world thinking where you hear so many people say, all religions lead to the same place. All people believe in the same God. It's very important to understand why do we believe that God is good and why do we believe that God is just? And here's why. A God that wanted justice and dignity for all was introduced for the first time by Jesus. For the first time. Until Jesus showed up on the scene, there was not a belief that there was a God that loved and wanted justice and dignity for all. That was not something that you saw. But we hear it all the time, right? We hear it all the time. God is love. God is love. God loves the entire world. We get so used to hearing God loves the entire world that we take for granted, we take for granted how amazing that revelation was. In fact, when you look in John 3, 16, we see this everywhere. It's on shirts. It's on football stadium. It's on Tim Tebow's eye black. We see it all the time. But when John wrote this, it was just what Jesus said. This was groundbreaking. He said this. He says, for this is how God loved the... You gotta realize, John is Jewish, and up until that point, who did God love? It was the Jewish people. Because you know what? I've watched Jesus. I've watched the way that not only does he love the Jewish people, but he loves others. I saw him sit with the Samaritan woman. I've seen him talk to the Roman guards and heal one of his friends. Like I, I realize that it's not just about the Jewish people anymore. And he writes, because God loved the world. He says he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, hear me on this. A God that was good and just was introduced to the world by Jesus in a time where there was no goodness and no dignity and no justice for all. The time that Jesus walked into, there was no justice. There was rich and powerful justice. There was no rights for women at that moment. And there were the kids of poor people weren't even named because the infant mortality rate was so high. Yet Jesus came into this world and said, I need you to understand, we serve a God that is good and just. And the early disciples believed that they served a God that was good and just, despite being in a culture that was not good and was not just. In fact, our first century followers died, died 
for believing in something. They gave their lives for it. The first century followers that died proclaiming the message of Jesus believed that God was good and just. And so if they believe God is good and God is just, maybe, maybe we're missing something. Maybe we are misunderstanding something because if the God of Jesus was so frail, the idea of the God of Jesus was so frail that he could have been argued out of existence based on goodness and justice, he would not have made it out of the first century. He would not have made it out of the first century. In fact, here's what's incredible to me right now. The fastest growing churches, they're not in the United States. They're definitely not in Europe. They're in China. They're in India. They're in Russia in places where they are being persecuted every day. So why is it that persecution drives people to Jesus? But we have a problem with pain and suffering. Maybe, maybe we're missing something. And I think what we're missing is what we find in 1 John 4, 7 to 8. It says, dear friends, let us continue to want, love one another. Why? Because it's natural? No. He says, because love comes from God. This is huge. He's, he goes, I need you to understand. Love and everything about love comes from God. And so if you are loving someone, that is because God has given that to you to love others. He says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for. And guys, this is, this is huge. God is love. Not God shows love. Not love is a part of God. God is love. And so if God is love, what does that mean? That means everything that is love is encompassed in God's character. Everything that defines love is encompassed in God's character. Every way that we should show love, we should understand what that looks like in God's character and what he does. In fact, God even showed us a personification of his will and his love by sending us Jesus. And so when we look at Jesus, we look, look, look at a man who lived a life with so much love, that's what God would want for us. But here's what I believe has happened. John says God is love here. And we've taken the word love and we've added our wants, our desires, our expectations and what we think love should be. And we've shoved it back in God's face and we've gone, you're supposed to be love. And God's saying, I never said that. That's not what I meant. Because you think there's a possibility that we've changed the idea of what love is so much that what we're throwing back in God's face is not love at all. It's just what we desire. I mean, how often have we been wrong about love? I mean, just growing up, look at your life. How long have you been wrong about what you thought love was? I mean, I know when I got married, what I thought love was standing across from my wife is very different. When I was standing there and I said, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you for the rest of my life, I thought love was hanging out, watching movies, laughing together, having sex. Like I thought that's love. That's what marriage is. Other people are just doing it wrong. And then you get married and you find out very quickly, love is not all that. Love is serving. Love is sacrificing. Love is doing the dishes. And they're not telling your wife, do you like that I did the dishes? That's hard. 
My wife shows love for me right now because I'm in allergy season, which means I apparently snore. I've never heard it, but she says I do. And so she loves me by not suffocating me. But I remember thinking, I understand when, when the Bible says that God loves you like one of his own children. I used to think, man, I understand exactly what that means until my son was born. And this boy, this little boy was right in front of me and I had never met him before, but I'm like, I love you and I will protect you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God's love is so much more than I thought. I mean, that first time that you have a real friend and you realize all the other friendships you had were fake. I mean, how many times have we thought we understood what love was and we were wrong? See, I hear people say this all the time. Well, I believe that God is love, and because I believe God is love, I believe he would do this. Or I believe God is love, so I know he would do this. Or I believe God is love, and because they're happy, he would be okay with this. I need you to know what you're actually saying. Because we're saying, I believe God is love, so he would do this. Here's what we're actually saying. If I was God, this is what I would do. And what we're doing in our very prideful way is saying, God, I know you're God. I know you've seen all of eternity. I know you've seen everything, but I've got this one. I know what you would do. And instead of looking to God's word and looking at Jesus's life, we decide what love is based on what we'd like. See, one of the biggest reasons that we believe that God is not good and God is not just is because we've changed the definition of those words to mean something that is different. Guys, the idea that God is good and God is just is something we've got to hold on to because it is God's goodness and God's justice that give us the standard for justice. I mean, I hear people say all the time, you know, if you just look at, you know, we, 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 were, we went through evolution and through evolution, we developed a sense of, judge, of justice and goodness. Really? You believe looking at nature and going through nature gives us a sense of justice and mercy? Have you watched Shark Week? Remember one time people going, hey, you need to watch Meerkat Manor with your kids, which if you've ever never seen it before, it's like little ferrets that all run around together. It's cute until one clan of ferrets comes against the other clan of ferrets, kills them all, and then kills the babies just to make sure that the, the beta male doesn't come back. I'm like, because that's what nature is. That's what natural selection is. In fact, Stephen Hawking, who is an atheist who is absolutely, absolutely believes in natural selection and evolution, he says it this way. He was giving a lecture in Cambridge, and he says this. He says, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. Why? Because natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression, and if you go on to read the rest of what he said, he said, the only way human beings can survive, the only way that humans can make it is that we figure out how to colonize space and we get away from each other. Because if we don't get away from each other, we're just gonna kill each other. See, natural selection knows nothing of justice. Natural selection knows nothing of mercy or love. The most natural selection can show us is tolerance. Is tolerance. If you flip this argument around, you can say it this way. The best way to rid the world of injustice is to rid the world of God. And here's why. Because once you rid the world of God, you lose the standard of what injustice is. 
you lose the only objective standard of what justice is. And once you lose the only objective standard of what justice is, then what are we left with? We're left with my justice and your justice and majority justice and power justice and Nazi justice and ISIS justice and clan justice. That's what we're left with. And you have your justice and I have my justice and you better not put your justice on me because my justice is different from yours. Sound familiar? See, when we try to get rid of God to get rid of injustice, we're not getting rid of injustice. We're getting, the, get rid, getting rid of the definition of what injustice is. Because without God, we have nothing and no one to appeal to. So the question is, how you, you said, okay, God exists. God believes in justice. What's the plan for injustice in the world? Does God have a plan for injustice? He does. But we don't like it. In fact, when Jesus came down, he said, I need you to understand, God is good, God is just, God is a God of dignity. But one day, one day there will be a time where exactly what God has been accused of not showing will show up and there will be a day where there will be justice for all. But culture doesn't like the answer because there is no justice without judgment. We hate that word. Oh, I don't want judgment. And culture goes, goes, says, I don't want a judgmental God. I don't want a judgmental God. I don't want somebody that judges. Well, here's the problem. You cannot say you want justice without a God that wants and can do judgment. Because if you have a God that doesn't embrace judgment, you can't have a God that wants justice. And what you are looking for cannot exist. But if we're honest, what's the reason we don't like judgment? What's the reason why we don't like that word? Is it because we're afraid of what God will do to all the people that have hurt us? No. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. I mean, I want justice for all the people that have hurt me. I want justice for the people that have wronged me. I want justice for all those people. But when it comes to my turn, I want to go up next to God and sit next to him and go, this is why I did all these things. And for God to go, you know what? You're right, Hal. Go sit in the A seat. Just think about it. Even as Christians, when you say the word judgment, it makes us nervous. And it's not that we're nervous for somebody else. It's that we're nervous for ourselves. And that is why the gospel is the perfect narrative. Into a world that deserved to be judged into a world that lacked justice and dignity. God did not send a judge, but he sent a savior. God did not send someone to judge us in that moment, but he sent someone to save us. In John 12, it says this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. He says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me for I have come to save the world, not to judge it. But, but all who reject me in my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. 
See, what's so incredible about God is before he ever revealed the plan for judgment, he sent a savior. Before he ever revealed the plan that this is how it's all going to end, he goes, I'm gonna send a savior first. Why? Because God is just and he wanted to give everyone a chance to choose him. In fact, Jesus was talking about this and the way he was talking about it was through a parable, just a a story to illustrate this. And he was talking about a woman who lived in a city and the city had a a judge, but the judge was an unjust, immoral, not God-believing judge. We can't relate to that at all. And so I shouldn't have said that. That was my fault. And she's going to this judge and she can't get in front of the judge because in those days you could only get in front of the judge if you had money, if you had the ability to bribe or you had some sort of position. And so she's constantly going to the judge. She's going, I need you to hear my case. And he refuses to hear her case. So she starts to stalk him. She goes to his house, bangs on his door, goes to his work, bangs on the door, follows him around so much so that he is so annoyed that he goes, fine, I'll hear your case. And when he hears her case, he actually renders a just decision. And this is what Jesus says. He says, even he rendered a just decision in the end. Talking about the immoral judge. He says, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, when Jesus returns, and this is the question, how many will he find on this earth who have faith? See, if you reject the God of Jesus, you reject the basis for dignity and justice because what Jesus does is he gives us dignity. Jesus said, I think you are so of value, so of worth that I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to give my life for you because I believe in you that much. I value you that much. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you dignity in this moment with my death and justice, I promise, will come. So Jesus says, I will give you dignity now and justice later. And when you think about it, when you think about it, if anyone, if anyone had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus was killed by the people he was dying for. He was beaten by the people he was there to save. If anyone had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. He was there to do the ultimate sacrifice. Yet people hated him for it. Evil and justice in the world are not arguments against God. They are evidence that we need God. That we need mercy. That we need grace every day of our lives. In fact, I believe this, if you truly care about justice in the world, if you truly want there to be a standard of justice, you want Christianity to be true. You want it to be true because without it, we lose our standard. And really, when you look at the world around you, evil and injustice are reminders, are reminders that there's something not right about this world. And if you've ever been there before, where you're just looking at the world, you're looking at what's going on, you're going, God, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. My heart longs for something so much more, something different than what I'm seeing on this world. C.S. Lewis said it perfectly. He said, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation 
that I was made for another world. See, when we look at the world and we go, there's gotta be something different, God's going, there is. And there will be. Because you were made for something different. You were. Sin entered the world, but you were absolutely made for something different. And there will be a day when all of this goes away. There will be a day where things are made right. There will be a day where there is justice and dignity for everyone. And what we know could be and what we believe should be, Jesus said will be. What we know could be what we believe in our hearts and what we know should be, Jesus said one day will be. In fact, we see a glimpse of that in Revelation 2, 21. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Because when you look at the story of the Bible, when you read through this book, you read through it and you go, how in the world did somebody come up with this? I mean, it's incredible the fact that God created us. He said, I'm going to create a perfect place for you. But then what do we do as humans? And what does Eve do? She goes, you know what? I think I'd be a better God than you are. I'd like to try my hand at this. And what's crazy, if we're honest today, isn't that what we do all the time? Isn't that what leads us into the most sin? God, I know you say you want to do this with my life, but I'm going to do something different. And you see Eve's sin, and you see humans continue to double down on that same sin, continuing to tell God, yeah, I, even though we're experiencing all this pain, this suffering from sin, we're going to continue to do it over and over again because we think we've got it this time. And the world became an incredibly corrupt place incredibly unjust place. The world that Jesus walked into was not a world of kindness and goodness. It was a world that lacked any dignity and justice. And Jesus came down as the Savior. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again three days later. Why? Why? Because God knew we couldn't do it on our own. And instead of just judging us for the sins we've committed, he sent a savior. He sent another way. He said, here's, here's what I want you to understand. I love you this much. I love you so much, I'm gonna send my son. I love you so much that it says over and over in the Bible, I want to adopt you into my family. Not only do I wanna adopt you, but I wanna give you my inheritance. I wanna give you heaven but I also want to walk with you every day to help you understand what it looks like to live this life in the right way. And I want to give you a purpose that is greater than any other, which is showing the world my love and telling the world about my grace, my mercy, and my way home. So today, if you're in this room and this is the first time maybe you've understood the story. You've understood the narrative, what God did. Maybe before it just sounded like a story instead of something that happened. And you're understanding for the first time, man, I need God in my life. It is only through God that I will have the things that I truly desire. The dignity, the worth, the value, the purpose, the plan, and the life 
what I wanna do right now is I just wanna lead you in a prayer. And it's not like it's a magical prayer, but it's just proclaiming what you've just learned. Because the Bible says this, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you ask for forgiveness of your sins, you get to spend eternity with him in heaven. So today we're gonna do exactly that. So if everyone in this room, everyone watching online and at all the campuses, we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. If today you wanna start that relationship and take that first step, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say silently right where you are at right now. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. God, I believe you sent your son Jesus down to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. God, today I'm giving my life to you. God, thank you for giving me dignity. Thank you for giving me worth. God, thank you for loving me in a way only you could. God, thank you for loving me first. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, that is the best decision that you will ever make and is the first step of many steps of what it looks like to live out live out our Christian faith. And so right now, what I'd love to do to help give you some next steps, I'm gonna ask the CPs to come up and close out the service. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.